You all can be seated. Uh, you can open up your copy of the Bible to Romans chapter 15. That's where we're going to uh, look at uh, here in just a bit. But I wanted to share a few announcements, and then I'm even going to show a short video to set up uh, this text and what, what we're going to talk about in it. Uh, but I wanted to uh, share, as usual, uh, just a thank you to you for your generosity as individuals, as couples, as families, uh, toward the general fund of our church. And just want to encourage you, as you seek to continue to be generous, there's various ways you can do that. There's always offering boxes in the back of the auditorium here uh, that you could drop uh, checks or cash into. You can give online. You can set up bill pay uh, with your bank, uh, however you would like to do that. But uh, a couple... Uh, quick highlights of things that your generosity has enabled. One, I wanted to let you know that Adam and Claire Pennard, uh, who we prayed for even last Sunday here, have made it down to Louisville. Uh, they got their moving truck and left Monday morning bright and early and got down to Louisville and are preparing even this week for him to start at the pastor's college there in Louisville and in preparation to hopefully be church planters back with us here in North Manchester. So uh, they would want me to express thanks to you for your generosity in helping that happen. Uh, to get there and then to be there this school year. And then also wanted to just give you a brief update on the, the brothers who we sent to Papua New Guinea. Uh, they are still there. They'll probably be there a majority of this week as well. It's a long trip, a long uh, journey there and back. Uh, but they're in the tribe. They've been there for several days. Uh, they've sent a few of us some pictures of uh, reconstructing some of the homes and putting new beams in place and even going out into the jungle and getting uh, the things that they need to help repair roofs and things like that. Uh, it's been a joy to even see some actual pictures from Josh Topol's phone of brothers and sisters in Christ now amongst the pay people. Uh, and for him to tell us their names and uh, to even have a video of Chris Jones like preaching the gospel to this small assembly, uh, telling the good news of Jesus. And I don't understand what he's saying, but I know that he's telling them of the cross and the resurrection and the goodness of our God. And so uh, continue to pray for them, especially as they, in a few days, start that long journey back down the river they came and then on flight back, uh, even across the ocean, ultimately, and pray for those loved ones who have uh, sent them and been without them uh, the last few weeks. Uh, a couple other things before I show this video. Next Sunday is, I'll tell you some stuff at the end of the service today about next Sunday, because it's going to be a different Sunday. It's food truck Sunday, which I'll tell you about that at the end, but we are going to start in the book of Hebrews uh, next Sunday. We're going to go through the first four verses, because we're hopefully going to be outside, and your attention may be scattered and whatnot, uh, and you may just be waiting to run to the front of the line or something for your favorite food truck, but so we'll keep a short text. Uh, hopefully you'll be outside, but uh, come prepared uh, to study, start this journey through Hebrews together. Uh, and then I think he is here. I didn't get to see him beforehand. Is Chris Manduka in here somewhere? Right here. Is Elias with you? Elias, I didn't tell you I was going to, you don't have to stand up or anything. I'm not going to uh, call you out. But numerous years ago, um, our church, some of you were here when we did this. We sent out some of our people, uh, Omar and Norma Soto and their family, uh, to go back to Mexico and to do this work of church planting in Mexico. Uh, and for various reasons, they've not been able to come back to the States as of yet. Uh, but their oldest son, Elias, uh, who uh, myself and a few brothers got to to go spend some time with them a couple years ago down in Mexico, has actually been uh, in the U.S. the last week or so, uh, and uh, Chris Manduka uh, graciously went and picked him up so he could come and be in here and worship with us this morning. So, Elias, I just wanted us to, as a church, to welcome you, uh, to say thank you for being with us. Uh, 
We have prayed for your family uh, many, many times, and for you specifically, and we're thankful for the work that your whole family's doing. We know it's not just your mom and your dad, uh, but we know that you love Christ and that you are with them in that. And so I wanted to say thank you to you, and I'm gonna talk and preach about us welcoming people, uh, and I hope that we can live that out to you today, not in an overwhelming way, but that we hope that you feel welcome uh, here in your American church home. Uh, but thanks for being with us, man, appreciate you. All right, I'm gonna have a show a video here in just a second. This, what you're gonna see is just between one and two minutes long. Uh, it is a video, this may sound super boring to you, but I promise you it won't. Uh, of, it's a short video of a welcome in a worship service uh, that was uh, done or uh, spoken by a pastor named Ray Ortland Jr., who my understanding is decades ago, he even preached in C at CCC uh, decades ago, but he's been served as a pastor in Nashville uh, most recently. And this is a short video of the worship service at their church of him standing at a podium like this, giving the welcome uh, to their church. And I was gonna try to just explain what he said, but I thought it would be way better for you to just hear it. I have watched this many times and I'm moved by it every time. I've thought even about us just playing it at the start of every worship service and you'll see why in a second. But if we can uh, watch this, it'll help set up the text that we're gonna look at today. Welcome to church. Now here's the one thing I invite you to understand. You may have noticed when you walked in that the doors out there are painted red. That is an old Christian tradition. Because we enter into the church through the blood of Christ. Out in that world we live in the rest of the week, we never measure up. Our lives are never complete. We never fully belong. Then we come into the church through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And what makes the difference here, the reason why we belong, we're walking into completeness already prepared. Therefore, we can be weak. We can be honest with ourselves, with one another, and with the Lord. And he says, we belong. <laughs> Welcome. So to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, and to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her red doors. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I've been moved whenever I watch that video. If you didn't pick up at the very beginning of it, he talked about how their church, I've even toyed with doing this here with our church. They have physically red doors uh, at their church. And he was saying how that's a, Christ, a long Christian tradition uh, to symbolize the shed blood of Christ. That as we come from the world where we've been scattered, where we feel our weirdness, where we feel our distance from people, where we feel competition, that we come in through the red doors of the church, remembering that Christ has brought 
brought us to God and that he's brought us together to each other and that there's a security in that, that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to impress, we don't have to compete, uh, but that there's a, a welcome that we have received in Jesus uh, that we should experience with each other and extend to each other. And so maybe somehow we can figure out how to turn glass doors outside red, I don't know, uh, but uh, maybe we'll never actually do that. Um, but that's a, a beautiful welcome to church uh, to, re- to remind us of the unity that we have in Christ. And so I shared that because what we're going to talk about today is a simple command of Scripture to welcome one another. Uh, and it tells us in a short little punchy way why to do that, how to do that, and what the result of it is when we do welcome each other into the community of God again and again and again and again. And so we're going to focus on one verse uh, from Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at Romans 15 verse 7. But I want you to, to hear what leads up to it, just so you, I'm not just cherry-picking a verse out of context. Uh, we do that a lot, even as believers sometimes. It's, it's almost like when, I'm not going to name news channels because most of them do it, but they'll like pull one little like 30-second clip of someone talking, and they'll just use it however they want when it might not match anything else that is said around it. I don't ever want us to do that uh, with Bible passages. I want us to know what was being said around this and what they, what Paul, in this case, was meaning to say. Uh, so I want you to hear kind of the run-up to verse 7. And so I'm going to start reading uh, here in a second in Romans 15, chapter or chapter 15, verse 1, and then I'll culminate at verse 7, which is where we're going to spend most of our, our time. But this is a glorious text of Scripture. I'm going to read Romans 15, 1 through 7, then we'll walk back through uh, verse 7. Testing. There it is. Very good. Todd's, Todd's on it. All right, I'm going to read this. Uh, start at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. For context here, uh, this is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, uh, to Christians who were part of an assembly there in Rome. Uh, And he has been writing uh, in the chapter even that precedes this, and you picked up on it maybe in the very first verse that I read. He's been speaking to them about how to handle, uh, this may be an understatement, but how to handle disagreements about even things like what food is okay to eat or not, or what holidays should be uh, acknowledged or not. Just very practical ways of how they live as Christians 
Christians, he knew there was disagreement. There was uh, disunity about those issues. And he's been appealing to them whether they have a conscience that is strong, like that allows them to do some of these things, or whether they have a conscience that is weak, that they feel like prohibits them from doing certain things. He's trying to teach them to live together, uh, to live in unity with each other, to live in harmony with each other. So even in what I read, you probably noted a couple things uh, that, that are encouraging them towards unity, to bondedness, to receiving each other. He said in verse 1 that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So we're obligated uh, to bear with each other, even in our failings, when we're church members with each other. So we, we're obligated to bear with each other. He said in verse 2 that each of us should please our neighbor for their good right? We're to build them up. We're not just to see the community of God as a means to build myself up, but as a way for me to serve other people, right? In verse 3, he talks about even reproaches, like how we, sometimes we speak ill of other people. We publicly uh, disparage them or speak ill of them, and he's saying that ought not to happen amongst us because Christ has borne even that, that sin of reproach. He has taken that name calling, those allegations. He's taken that on himself at the cross so we ought not to just project that again onto other fellow Christians. We're to speak well of each other. He says things in verse 5 like, uh, may God grant, I love this, may God grant you to live in such harmony with each other in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify God. So even where there's disagreement, even where there's uh, disunion about certain things, he's saying, I want you to have harmony. I want you to remember you're linked together in Jesus, even when there's disagreement about other things. And then he distills it, kind of crystallizes it down in one sentence in verse 7, where we're going to spend the rest of our time, where he says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That is a glorious sentence. Uh, there is a lot in that. And I want to, us to walk through it kind of little chunk by chunk, three chunks of it. Uh, I want to actually start in the middle of it. Uh, that, that middle phrase where Paul said, as Christ has welcomed you. And then we'll go back to the top of it where he commands us to actually welcome each other. So let's think about that middle phrase first. That as Christ has welcomed you. Okay, let, let's sit on that. Uh, what's, what is Paul talking about when he says, as Christ has welcomed you? What's that word welcome mean? Uh, what, what is, how has Jesus done that for us? How are we to do that for other people? Uh, some of your translations, your English translations, may say things like, accept one another as Christ has accepted you, or receive one another as Christ has received you. But I th what Paul is saying there, I think is more, it's a, a stronger word than just to accept someone, right? Because we accept a lot of things uh, that we don't really like let come near to us. Like we kind of tolerate them, right? We, we're okay with them existing. We kind of just accept that it's there, that this person uh, is around. But this word that Paul uses a couple times in this verse, it means more than just accept. It means to like to receive or even this idea of like drawing close to yourself, like re receiving something near to you. Uh, it's even used, that word is even used sometimes to talk about eating things, right? Like when we passed around those plates earlier, uh, you accepted it when, when uh, you took it out of the plate, right? But you didn't just stop there. You like actually ate it and drank it, right? Like you took it into yourself. Uh, that's sort of what this word is getting at. Not just that it's 
somebody's nearby you, not just that somebody's around you and you're okay with it, but that you're like receiving them into yourself. Like that there's a, a shared reality, a shared life with you now. That, that's what he is saying. And he says, Christ has done that for us. Christ has welcomed us. He's received us into himself. He, he's received us, drawn us near to himself. And I want us to think, how has he done that? If we're to welcome as Christ has welcomed, how has he done that? How has he brought us to himself, taken us into himself? A few adverbs we could use about how Christ has welcomed us. One, we could say that he's graciously welcomed us, right? Uh, he has graciously welcomed us. I so appreciate the, the songs that we picked that uh, we talked about how First, how we were strangers, right? Uh, that was even in, in the text that we read, we were strangers, but we were more than strangers, right? Like strangers, you're not necessarily at odds with, they're just strangers. Like you don't know them, they haven't wronged you, you don't really know anything about them. We were worse than strangers to Christ, right? Like we were enemies. That's what, as the songs progressed, we sang about that, how we who were enemies have been made friends. We were enemies of Christ, not just strangers, and we were welcomed by him. As enemies, we, we were brought near to him. We didn't deserve that. We weren't neutral to him. We were actually against him. We deserved to be kept away from him, but he has received us graciously. He's even rewarded us, right? Uh, so he's graciously welcomed us. He has sacrificially welcomed us. And that's an understatement, right? But to welcome us, to draw us into himself, to bring us near to himself, it was at great cost to himself, Right? This, this welcome wasn't just an easy, trivial, trite thing that he could do. What was necessary for us to be drawn near to Christ was the cross. That Christ had to bear our reproach. He had to bear our sin. He had to bear our guilt, past, present, even the ones future from us. Yet he bore those on the cross. And the one who is innocent himself took our guilt on himself and was crushed by God the Father. He was punished by God the Father, bore the wrath of God the Father for our sins. And that's how we're able to be brought near. That's how we're able to be welcomed by Christ, is that he sacrificially welcomed us. Uh, he, he gave of himself, he gave his very life to, to draw us near, to welcome us. But this third word, given that he sacrificially welcomed us, is confounding is he gladly welcomed us. Like he didn't reluctantly, begrudgingly welcome us. When Christ welcomed us, he, he embraced us fully. Like he, he wanted us to be brought near to himself. Uh, even those of us uh, who we think are the worst of sinners. Like he longed for us to be brought near. He, he didn't reluctantly die on the cross for us, begrudgingly die upon the cross for us. Christ, hear this, is not embarrassed by us. Like he, he, he didn't accept us and then just leave us to the side like that friend group where maybe you had kind of an awkward friend who you kind of wish wasn't in the friend group that you wouldn't mind if they didn't come to certain things. Sometimes we think we're like that friend of Jesus, like that he's okay with us being around, but if, if it was really up to him, he'd rather not have us there. We think we've received that kind of welcome, kind of like, a, uh, like I don't know about this guy or this lady. Christ has made us his full friend. Like he, he has embraced us fully. He is not embarrassed. He's not ashamed of us. He has gladly received us to himself. Sin and all, struggle and all, weakness and all, weirdness and all. And in thinking of this, how he has welcomed us, I couldn't help but have my mind go this week to the story of the prodigal son. 
and the response of the father in that story and how he welcomed back his son. Uh, if you haven't read that in a while, read it again. It's in Luke chapter 15. But if you don't know the story, I'll just briefly, briefly tell it. There's two sons of this wealthy uh, father. And one of the sons uh, takes, asks for his inheritance early and the father grants it and he runs away, squanders it, makes a mess of his life, brings reproach upon the name of his family. He loses it all. He, he's eating with pigs. And he, he decides to return to his father. And as Jesus tells this story, he tells of the response of the father and it is overwhelming to read and think about and imagine us being that son who returns. Because what that father does, knowing, at least in general, what that son has been doing uh, and what he had done, it says that the father saw him from afar, so he was looking for him, right? It says that he had compassion upon him, that he ran to him, he embraced him, he gave him a robe, he gave him a ring. He instantly calls for a huge party to be thrown for this son. Uh, he, uh, it's just this over-the-top demonstration of welcome, uh, of someone who had wronged him, who had spurned him, who had hurt him, who had rejected him, who didn't deserve this type of response. But that's the type of welcome the Father gave to him. And that's the type of welcome that Christ has given to us if we're united with him by faith. Is he has seen us. He has had compassion upon us even in our sin. He has run to us, run after us. He has even done what that Father didn't, that he gave his life for us on the cross and now he richly rewards us with forgiveness of sin with the gift of the Holy Spirit with the gift of the church with the, the reality that we will be raised to eternal life someday in his kingdom he just gives us abundance of, of grace gifts that is the type of welcome that Christ has given to us and it, some of you have not yet been welcomed back to that heavenly father. You've not yet been welcomed back, embraced by Christ in that way. And I want to offer on behalf of Christ himself, I want to offer that reception to you this morning to let you know that Christ is glad to receive you to himself if you will be repentant of your sin. Like if you will turn from running away from him and turn not with any worthiness of your own, but saying, Lord, I, I don't want to continue living in rebellion against you. Like you have died for me. You, you've granted me this opportunity to return to you. I'm taking you up on that. Like please receive me. Please forgive me. Welcome me back. And I can assure you just as he's done with me and just as he's done with countless men and women and boys and girls in this room, if you come to him in that demeanor, the way that he invites you to return, he will gladly welcome you back even this very morning. Uh, that is good news for you to hear no matter what sort of sin you've walked in here with, no matter what shame you've walked in here with, no matter what disinterest you may have walked in here with, Christ is glad to receive you back. Not because you're good, not because you're worthy, but because he wants to and because he has died for you. And so I would urge you to walk through those red doors that Christ has opened. Uh, walk into the community of God. Walk into the, the favor and acceptance of God that Christ has gained for you today. So that is how Christ has welcomed us. He's graciously, sacrificially, gladly welcomed us. But Paul, he's not just writing this like theological treatise, right? Sometimes we think of Romans that way, and the first numerous chapters really are. There's this deep, deep theology, this glorious explanation of the good news of Christ, how he's died for us, been raised for us, how we can have forgiveness of sin. 
But as Paul gets into these later chapters of this letter, even in what we read today, he's trying to help us see how that theology actually affects reality, how it actually affects practical living and life. And so even in this verse, verse 7, he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. He's not just reminding them, hey, Christ has welcomed you. Isn't that glorious good news? He could have. Like, that is glorious. But he's, he's attaching a command to it. He's saying, because Christ has welcomed you in this way, now you be welcoming of others, right? You welcome one another. And so I want to talk about that phrase for most of the remaining time, welcome one another, how, how that sentence starts. I'll note a couple quick things that we could miss, I think, in this. The first is that, notice that Paul says this is a welcoming, like a receiving, a bringing to yourself of fellow Christians, right? He says, welcome one another, right? He's not just writing to human beings in general. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, hey, you all, like who are part of the church, like you all who have, have been bought by Jesus, love, or not love, he does other places say to love each other, but he says, welcome one another, right? This, this text is not even foremost. There's other ones about this, but it's not so much about welcoming outsiders into the church, right? Uh, that, there's other texts that speak to you. We're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, that we're to walk properly before them. Paul, the guy who writes this, even assumes that unbelievers will come to worship among us sometimes. Like he, he assumes that, but here, this command, he's saying to welcome fellow Christians, like be welcoming, receiving of fellow Christians. And that it should be true of us as followers of Jesus. Yes, we should have a welcoming disposition to all people, but we should have a uniquely welcoming disposition to fellow Christians. Uh, that, that we should have a, a unique reception of them in our life. Our brothers and sisters in the Lord should uniquely be received by us, cared for by us, attended to by us. If we have repented of our sin, if we've been brought into this Christian community, we've been united with each other as well. Not just with Christ, but we've been welcomed into the same family by Christ. And we should have a unique welcoming of each other. But another thing we could easily miss is that this command, welcome one another, is about ongoingly welcoming each other, right? This is written to a church that was already in fellowship with each other, right? It's not like they're just a bunch of strangers that have never met, and he's saying, hey, when you all finally get together, make sure you say hello and be, like, greet each other. Like, he's talking to people who regularly were in contact with each other, who were already part of the same church, who are already near to each other, and he's telling them, welcome each other. Like, keep welcoming each other. It, this isn't just a one-time thing. Like, the first time you meet, so, like, oh, hey, so-and-so, what's your name? Like, and do the small chit-chat thing, and okay, I've done my job of welcoming them. He, he's talking about having this ongoing welcomingness, uh, ongoing welcome disposition uh, as a person towards people you're already in fellowship, right? Uh, it's not as if what Paul imagined, to use that red door image, that all of us have been brought in through this red door into the community of God's people. And now we just kind of each do our own thing. Like we're all in the same building, we're all in the same family, but we kind of just each do our own thing and you all stay over here and I stay over here and we just keep to ourselves. He's saying, no, like ongoingly welcome each other, be receptive to each other, draw each other nearer into your life. Like listen to them, know what's going on with them, have them do the same with you. There's this idea of welcoming each other is not just a text for our greeters. 
not just for the people who are serving coffee at the Welcome Center, not just for the people who make a good first impression, but it's a command to every Christian in the church to be welcoming to other Christians, to have a welcoming disposition of how you live your life. And so what does that look like? If we're to welcome each other, if we're to welcome fellow Christians and ongoingly be welcoming of other Christians, I wanted to give a couple quick Uh, application points of what that actually can look like to welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. I want to start first by thinking about being welcoming in your heart, like or in your mind, like in your inner world, being welcoming toward other people, being welcoming toward fellow Christians. And I think this is vital for us. Our world does not have a disposition of having a welcoming heart toward people we disagree with, does it? Like, it, it seems, I've not, been, I've not even been four decades on this planet yet, but in my years of life, it seems like we are more and more hostile towards each other, that we assume worse and worse things about people, and when we have disagreement about different things, uh, peripheral things, we speak ill of people, we assume poor things about other people, and this must not mark fellow Christians like as we, we have just in this room, I know you all well enough and you know me well enough that we have all sorts of viewpoints about all sorts of things, don't we? Uh, they may have differed about holidays and what food to eat. We have a whole panorama of views about all sorts of things, right? Uh, that aren't anything really directly to do with Christ or directly to do with God himself or even his word. And sometimes we start to learn things about each other and we know things about, oh, they think this or like they live this way or like I don't know about that like we we kind of think whether it's educational choices or political choices or how they spend their money or what sort of entertainment they watch or how they raise their kids or what kind of car they drive or there's all these sorts of things where we start to like almost like assume ill of each other and the, the question for us should be I think is how can we and the despise may be too strong a word but how can we despise some of the very people that Christ prizes. Like if he loves them the same way he loves me, like if he has fully atoned for their sin and they are repentant and trusting and resting their soul upon him, they're believing God's word, but we operate very differently about some other things, I cannot look down my nose at them if Christ is pulling them near, right? Like, how can I stiff-arm people or keep people at arm's length that Christ has brought near to himself, that Christ has welcomed, but I'm saying, I'm not welcoming you. Like, you can stay away from me, and you can just stay over there. In our very hearts, how we think about people, before we ever say a word, before we do any actions toward them, we must remind ourselves that a fellow Christian who's believing the gospel of Christ is a full brother or sister of mine. Like they, they have been accepted. They have been welcomed the same way I've been welcomed. And where there's disagreement, where there's disunity, we process those things. We talk about those things. We respect each other. And look, there's denominations. There are different churches. And that can be okay. Like there are reasons sometimes where for pragmatic reasons we need to operate in different spheres. But we, even when that happens, we ought to have deep, deep respect and love for each other, right? And I appreciate that our church, I think, lives that out. So don't hear that as a corrective, but we need to continue to grow in that, even in our very hearts and how we see people, how we look at people, how we make assumptions about them, is to remember before we magnify our disagreement is to remember the bond that we share. 
to remember what we have in common, right? That the things we differ on right now will dissolve in eternity, right? Like we make them such huge issues now, but if we're linked together in Christ, those things will be a faint memory. And so in our hearts, we need to have a hospitable disposition, a welcoming disposition to people and not just start with them at arm's length. We have, I would say this, we have, just before I move to the next one, we have a stronger affinity I think as Americans, often with people who share our same political bents or same educational bents or same economic bents than we do with the people who we share spiritual bonds with. And that ought not to be. Like we ought to, the, the identity marker of I am a Christian, like I am resting my soul upon Christ should be the pinnacle, should be supreme, that should make all others fit in their place. To say we differ on these things, but we share the same Savior. And for that reason alone, I want to get to know you better. I want to love you. I want to care for you. And I trust that you want to with me. And so in our hearts is where hospitality starts, where welcoming starts. But the second thing I would say is in our demeanor, we should be hospitable. And what I mean by that, and we should, we should be welcoming in our very demeanor as people, is when we hear a text like Romans 15, 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, we usually think of the physical act of hospitality, right? Like how do I embrace people? How do I handshake? How do I have people into my home? How do I, how do, I do things? Like how do I actually physically welcome them. Um, But I think what Paul is trying to get at is a deeper thing than just the physicality of hospitality. It's a heart posture. It's a, what is my demeanor like towards other people? Like, how do they see me? Am I a welcoming person? Am I somebody that they can talk to? Somebody that they can enter into? This text, Romans 15, 7, is not about cooking meals or cleaning or, or hosting in a home. It's about your posture as a person. To put it to a fine point, I would say a homeless person can be hospitable, right? Like they can be a welcome and ought to be, if they're a Christian, ought to be a welcoming person and could be more welcoming even than a wealthy brother or sister who's hosting parties in their house every night but's doing it to impress or doing it to show off or to like, it is a matter of our demeanor as a person. Am I a welcoming person? Do I receive people well? So a couple of just diagnostic questions to think through of your demeanor. Am I a welcoming person? is do you pursue people or do you just wait for them to pursue you? Like, are you someone who actually goes after people and like wants to get to know them or do you just wait and wait for people to come after you? Are you someone who, when people are grieving or they're lamenting, are you someone that people can come to to cry with? Are you someone when somebody is having doubts, when they're wrestling with doubts, are you someone that they can come to with their questions and feel like they're gonna take me seriously, they're gonna help me think through these things, they're gonna care for me, or are you just gonna keep them at arm's length and, 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 and keep them away from you? Are you someone when people are fighting sin and they're, they're feeling their weakness, they're feeling shame when they're feeling guilt, are you someone that they can safely come to and confess sin? Are you someone who's going to turn them away and look down upon them in their struggle? Are you someone when there is disagreement with you, are you someone that somebody feels like they can actually tell you that? Like that they can, in a, in a way, dialogue with you? Are you someone that can be interrupted? Right? Are you someone that can be inconvenienced and that, that people don't feel like you are frustrated with them when that happens? 
Are you someone that when you engage with people, you do so to actually learn from them and grow, or just to persuade them? Like that's a, that's a good question to think about. And are you someone that even when there's disagreement, even when there's maybe strong disagreement, are you someone who's able to affirm the good that you see in that brother or sister? That, that you're able to speak well of them. You're able to compliment them, to highlight graces in their life. So questions to think about. In my demeanor as a person, am I hospitable? Am I welcoming of others? Because hospitality, welcoming of other people, is, is really something to do with our inner attitude, not just our external acts, right? Like the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 said, to show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? I, that, I love that sentence. That's a good corrective, is that we're to show hospitality to people without grumbling. We're to, to be an open person, like who's glad to talk to people, to hear from people, to, to dialogue with them, to cry with them, to care with them, and to not be obligated to do it, not just, just feel obligated to do it, just feel like it's my duty to do it, but I want to welcome this brother or sister and whatever they're needing at this moment, because Christ has welcomed me. Like, I, I want to have that disposition for them, Even even when I'm inconvenienced, even when we disagree, even when I'm confounded by them, I want to be welcoming in my demeanor. Two other things, practically speaking. I think we should be hospitable in our homes as God grants us. This text is not directly about hospitality in our homes, but it's not less than that. I think that's a, a practical outflow of how we welcome each other, how we welcome fellow Christians. And I would just encourage you, whatever living condition you have, whether you are in a dorm room, an apartment, a house, uh, whether whatever your uh, situation is living-wise, are you viewing that place where you live as a space where you can actually show welcome to people, like where you can actually demonstrate to them more fully maybe than a short conversation could that, I love you, I'm for you, I want to spend time with you, I want to get to know you and care for you well. Are you using your space that way? I think as Americans, a few of us were just talking about this this week, that we tend to think of our home, whether it's an apartment or a dorm room or a house, we tend to think of those more as like a castle to escape into for ourselves, rather than like a retreat center to invite other people into, right? Like we live on our back porches instead of our front porches, right? Like we, we tend to think of our home as something that's a respite for me, rather than a, a place to invite other people into to show my care and my interest and them. And if we lack motivation to do that, uh, I mean, even a couple of chapters before this, Romans 12, 13, Paul tells them to seek to show hospitality. He says, like, you should try to do it. Like, put effort into it. Don't just wait for people to invite themselves over. Go do it. Like, seek it out. Like, try to invite people into your space. And it's going to be costly to you. It takes time. It takes resources. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes people stay longer than what you expected. Uh, that There's all these sorts of things that happen. But remember, Christ's welcoming of us was costly, Right? Like our welcome of other people should be costly. We should expect it to be costly. That's not just, oh, I can tidy this up. We're done. Hour's up. 90 minutes is up or whatever. Like we're done here. You need to, to head home. Uh, like we, we should at cost to ourselves be willing to invest time and energy and even be inconvenienced to demonstrate our love and our welcome of others. And the last realm practically I want to point out is just in our church we should be welcoming to each other. We should be welcoming to uh, fellow believers. We should be welcoming to others even outside of our body. 
we should have a welcoming posture as Christians individually, and we should have a welcoming posture collectively. He's giving this command to the whole church, right? Not just so-and-so, make sure you welcome people. So-and-so, make sure you welcome people. He's saying, all of you all, uh, me included, like welcome one another, like be welcoming to each other. And when we come to church on Sundays, when we come to whatever gathering, whether for worship or community or life group or class, when we come together as a church, we must resist the temptation to just go find our people, like our friends, our buddies, our life group members, our whoever, and just turn inward on them and just talk, 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 talk. That's wonderful to do. But while we're doing that, we often miss everyone else. Like we're oblivious to other people who are around us. We are oblivious to uh, people who are hurting, people who feel alone, people who feel isolated. Uh, we could be laughing it up with people and there's people crying right behind us. And we're, we're oblivious that that ought not to be as a church. Like we should be a welcoming uh, church family. I love, there's a, an author named Rebecca McLaughlin that I like, uh, who she writes books and articles about various things, but I saw on Twitter a long while back, um, she said that her and her husband have come up with uh, these three rules that they just use on Sunday mornings when they come to church to help them with this very thing to say, I want to be welcoming. We want to be welcoming to people. And there are three rules. I didn't put them up here, so you just have to either mentally note or write them down is the first one, and they're imagining a gathering, a church gathering. They said, rule number one, an alone person is an emergency. That's kind of an awkward, clunky way to say it, but I really like that, that an alone person is an emergency. And that doesn't mean we have to be like awkward to just like thrust ourselves upon a, a person who's by themselves. But if someone enters into our gathering or comes to something that a class or a group that you're part of and they're by themselves, that should be an emergency, not in the sense that you assume bad about them, but that you want to make sure they feel loved and cared for, right? So an alone person is an emergency. Rule number two is friends can wait. Friends can wait. Uh, so like our friends hopefully know our love well enough that if I don't just make a beeline to them after church, they know I'm with them and for them still, right? Like we can talk later. We can converse in other contexts. Our friends can wait because they know our love. We've expressed that to one another, but new people can't. And so a lone person is an emergency. Friends can wait. And then the third one, I appreciate this to try to develop a welcoming culture. As they said, introduce a newcomer to someone else. Like, so that it's this idea of like trying to say, I want to make sure they feel welcome. I want to make sure they feel cared for. But then I want them to know that we care for them. Like we're interested in them, not just me, but we are interested. And so if we could do those three things, I think our church would just continue to grow in hospitality, that we would see individuals who come in who maybe don't know anyone as, as people to go talk to, to seek to care for, to get to know, that we would not so much focus on our friends that we neglect guests or strangers and then thirdly that we try to connect them with others in the church let them know that we communally care for you we see you we value you couple of quick opportunities of where the rubber can meet the road on this, where you could help us even with being welcoming as a church. Uh, I won't belabor these, but there's even sign-ups out at the Welcome Center. Uh, as you leave this morning, if you'd like to help volunteer, there's two different things uh, in this stream of welcoming even coming up the next couple weeks. Uh, one is next Sunday uh, for Food Truck Sunday. Uh, I'm hoping that you're inviting people to come with you, either unbelievers or people who aren't uh, part of a 
church anywhere. There's a lot of different things that we need help with next Sunday, uh, from being kind of the face people who give out tickets as people come, to helping set water bottles out, to picking trash up, to setting up. There's all sorts of things that could be done uh, formally uh, to help with the setup or cleanup of that. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to be hospitable uh, to people in our community. Uh, so you could sign up to help with that. And then there's an event even coming up. We'll start to share more about this, but about a month from now, September 16th and 17th, we're having our first ever, to my knowledge, we're have, hosting a bilingual event. Uh, the uh, Pastor Larry and then uh, Mr. Navarro are going to be helping uh, teach about marriage. Uh, it's going to be a set of talks Friday night into a Saturday morning about marriage and gospel truth and how that translates into married life. And those two brothers are going to tag team that. Uh, and that's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to invite people, even people we have maybe a, a primary language divide with and we could feel distance from to invite them in for us to care for them them to care for us and to learn together and demonstrate we have a common bond in Jesus that even if we don't speak the same primary heart language we worship the same Christ and we deal with this, some of the same issues and have the same gospel to help us and so if you'd like to help with that like if you're a Spanish speaker if you would just like to help serve food lunch on that Saturday or you want to help with coffee or snacks or you want to be a greeter anything like that if you'd like to help with that event uh, coming up September 16th and 17th we'd love to know that um, by you signing up last point this sentence doesn't end with him just saying welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you it ends by him saying for the glory of God and I, I don't want to miss that uh, but I'll just be brief on this is that as we welcome each other as we have welcoming dispositions as individuals and as a church family to people it shows something to the world and it shows something to fellow Christians about our God, uh, that, that he is a welcoming God, uh, that he is a God who didn't just look at sinners and enemies and keep us at arm's length, but that he went to great lengths to bring people back to himself, that to demonstrate his love, his favor, his kindness, his mercy. And so as we do small little things like go up to someone we don't know and seek to care for them, or as we, whether it's an old friend that we have and we seek to ask questions and listen to them and, and receive them well, as we do those things, we're demonstrating something about the grandness and greatness of God. Even in our small little bodies, in our small little relationships, we're showing something about the greatness of our God. We're, we're glorifying him. And so I wanted to end by just repeating one thing that Pastor Ortland said uh, in his uh, welcome to his church. And I want us to remember that red doors don't actually welcome people. Like doors are just doors, right? Like they could be red and have all the symbolism in the world that we want. But people welcome people. Uh, people, Christians welcome Christians. But he ended his uh, welcome, and I'm going to end this sermon this way. He said, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her red doors in the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Welcome, I'm glad you're here.
And I truly am glad that you're here. And, and my prayer for us uh, is that we would live this out, that we would be a church that figuratively opens the red doors uh, of Christ's love and his sacrifice to a world that desperately needs it, and then that we extend that welcome to brothers and sisters here and all over this world. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for that, and we're going to sing a closing song, and I'll leave you with the word of benediction. But let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the welcome that you have given us in Christ, uh, that you have brought us near to yourself, uh, us who weren't just strangers, but who were enemies. Uh, you have graciously, mercifully, gladly restored us to yourself. So we pray that you would change us, that you would make us a welcoming people, that you would give us an orientation to care well for others, to, to be genuinely curious to know them, desirous to care for them, uh, that we would receive others to ourselves, And we pray that our church would be known as a welcoming church, that, that we would have such a welcoming culture that people long to come to know this Savior who has welcomed us. So be honored as we sing. Uh, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.